Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. Sorry for the technical issues, but I'm Dan. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we are fortunate enough to be speaking with Franga. Frank will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus, high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey Frank, how are you going? Very well, thank you. That's good. And you got any there with you tonight? Yes, yes, we have at this stage. Yeah. She looks very happy with herself there as well. Yeah, now that she knows she's on air, yeah, she's right, yeah. <laughs> Back that, to her glory days. That's it, mate. How, how was your day, mate? Very good, thank you. So we'll jump into it. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. All right, well, Frank Finger from Clermont, uh, on a property just southwest of Clermont. Um, been there all my life and in 1997 we had it held our first dog school and that was a neil and helen uh mcdonald dog school uh, we had about 32 people come to that and and what i'd seen there really made me want to to um to do what i do now so we kept holding dog schools right up until last year and we will still keep holding them schools. So we've had 38 dog schools on the property so far. Um, and back in the very beginning, my daughter bought a, a Kelpie off, off uh, Helen and, and then we bought another border Collie and I bought a pup. So we've, we've done it from pups. We've started from pups, but only because we hosted the school on the property and we were left with a trainer on. So that gives us a nice quiet or learn a person, learn a pup friendly mob. And um, right from when they left, we had pups and um, then they came back in 12 months time and give us another refresh and we brightened ourselves up again. And then every 12 months since, and that's got us to where we are. But along the way, we've had um, uh, other schools. We've had uh, other trainers. We've had Peter Barr on the property. And then off the property, we've had um, Tony McCullum, and the late Greg Prince, I've been to his schools, a Jim Lindsay school, and we're also fortunate enough to go to Bud Williams when he was in uh, Australia in about the early 2000s. So uh, all in all, I've probably done you know, 60 odd schools of different people. And yeah, wow, well, mate. Some pretty good resumes there. <laughs> yeah, we've been fortunate. I've probably the, yeah, the best trainers in Australia and uh, very, very fortunate to, to have had them on property. Very fortunate. Absolutely. And, and then, then where did you... Sorry, mate, you go. I was going to say, and then uh, in 2019, I was very privileged to be selected to be one of the participants on Mustard Dogs. And uh, that was a very enjoyable time. And that's, of course, where Annie's come from. And she doesn't mm -hmm. want to look at... <laughs> Uh, don't worry, mate. Uh, we'll ask you. There's a few questions here, so we'll we'll get into those and the dogs. But where did your passion for livestock come from? What was that? Sorry. Your passion for livestock and working dogs and working dogs. Oh well, I've always had a passion for working livestock, and I've always loved dogs. I've always had dogs, but not a purposeful dog. Um, just a layabout uh, in the road type of dogs I used to have, and even when I was very young, I had a had a white dog. I was a I was fan of the Phantom comics when I was really young, and my first dog's name was Devil. And now I've finished up with Lucifer. 
But I mean, they, they weren't to work cattle, and uh, it, it was, as I say, it wasn't until uh, probably 10 years or so before we'd done our first school that I had a few, a Kelpie and a, and, a, and a Blue Heeler, but yeah, I didn't know what to do with them, didn't know how to train them, but I've always had a passion for working livestock, and I always knew that there'd be an easier way, and when I, when I seen the, um, when we'd done that first school and could see what was capable of, uh, with the the herding dog, I just fell in love with it and been doing it ever since. Oh, beautiful. Do you want to, we'll jump into some of these, we've got a stack of questions here, mate. If you're right, we might jump into some of these live questions. So Alana Dolls asked, where did you learn your techniques for training dogs, especially the Bluetooth um, connection, calm, encouraging mannerisms, or is that something you have just learned with years of experience? Oh, that that comes from you know it's been so so long. We've been uh, learning uh, all the techniques from the different trainers, but first and foremost, most of my experience would come from Neil and Helen McDonald, and then from Peter Barr. Peter Barr was the one that taught me how to put a sit on quickly uh, on, onto a dog. But I would say to be Neil and Helen that have always told me about the loose rope, the uh, Bluetooth connection. Or, or having um, a, an aerial in, the, in your dog's head with a two-way in there and on the base station. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's just how it is. And, and I've, I've known for years to be calm. Um, the dogs run off atmosphere and uh, just speak calmly to them and, and treat them nicely and, and just be their, be their friend. And she's about to go to sleep there now, I think. <laughs> yeah, she looks pretty comfy. <laughs> so on from that, Nicole Botfields asked, how do I establish that Bluetooth connection while my dog's prime focus is other dogs due to him always being surrounded by many dogs, usually another seven? She said she's finding it difficult to compete for his focus and attention while they are around. And he's just he's a five-month-old Kelpie. Oh, I don't know, five months. Well, I would have that Kelpie on a lead when I was taking it near the other dogs. And, and um, I, did, I didn't let Annie mix with the other dogs until she was about six or seven months old. I kept her out of the compound and she just came with me everywhere. But we didn't start to bond until the instincts come out. And that was at um, three months and one week. I was careful not to call her by a name or name her too much, bond with her too much. Once the instincts come out and she started to work, the bonding started, then the Bluetooth started. So the, 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 the best way I could describe a Bluetooth, when it's switched on, is when you can unclip the lead and the dog walks beside you and, and she's just watching. She just watches all the time, sort of looking, looking at my eyes, waiting to see uh, what I'm doing. Not so much for verbal command, but just, just to see what I'm doing. And uh, we travel a lot in the in the vehicle. We've just been out all day, and she's been in front of the vehicle with me. And uh, she likes music, so while I'm playing music on the radio, she's happy. But when it goes into an interview or someone's talking, she just gets a bit restless. She doesn't like the news. She doesn't like hearing about Putin and what he's up to. <laughs> but but she loves music. So I, I think it's just um, 
you've got to stop that uh, silly interaction with another dog. Just have a lead, and if they want to go and lick another dog and get too involved with them, just just keep chipping them with a with a small flick on the lead, and keep keep make the dog keep the focus on you. And I think she will give it up. But don't let her run with them if she's if she's running around licking them. Put her back on a log. You can use a long, very light lead for a pup that age. It ought to be one to be three and a half to four metres long with a swivel clip on the end and a knot in the end of the lead so that you can stand on it. And if, she's if the pup's behaving, that's fine. If it's not playing up with another dog, just stand on the lead, pull it up and give the lead a little snap and uh, get her out of that situation. And I think she, will still, she would soon work out that uh, you're not happy with her doing that and she wouldn't do it. Another question here from uh, Glynis Simpson. How often is Annie allowed inside? I think I might know who Glynis Simpson is. I think I talked to her the other day. <laughs> uh, not very often, Glynis. This is, this is a one-off thing. It's whenever we're doing an interview. No, she doesn't. She doesn't come <laughs> inside. You can see she's not really comfortable. She wants to get outside. But no, she doesn't. Doesn't live in the house. Uh, another question here from Liz Rimmel. Uh, I'm having trouble with my bitch to sit when she's working. She sits on the lead just fine. Any tips or training techniques that you could suggest? Thanks, Liz. Well, I wouldn't teach them on the lead. I would teach them to sit uh, using a small mob of trainer mob. Like we, we use goats mainly for training to sit. And, and I use a Peter Barr technique with that. And that's using a, 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 a soft plastic rake and just reach over or walk through your goats or sheep and just wave the rake over them and make them sit. And then once, make them sit, then let them return to work a couple of times quickly. And then you can prolong the sit. And then I just hold the rake up while I wanted to sit. When I wanted to move, just drop the rake and she moves off. I, I, you can do it on a lead, but I, I'm not real good at that. I always do it, just do it with a rake in a pup-proof yard. And, um, and we never have any trouble. But we start that very early, like that would be about two months after the instincts come out, they, they're taught to sit. But only for a very short period, like for a few seconds. Sit and it's reward to go back to work, sit again, reward to go back to work, and then you make that longer. And once you get out of a small training yard, then, then you make that even longer. And the best way to make a dog sit is to sit it in the, mob, uh, sit it in the front of, outside the yards of an open gate and turn cattle out onto them sit multiple dogs or sit one out there and just make it stay there. And then it gets very keen waiting for the cattle to come out. And I think that's one of the best ways to make a dog sit. So but when you're doing that? When the sit's not required. Uh, just, be, just be conscious of that because a Kelpie can see that they've still got work to do. You know, you wouldn't get it to sit until all the cattle are in the yard. Then you can ask it to sit in the gateway. but. Don't overdo the sick call because the Kelpies get sick of that. They only want to sit when they think it's required. That's how I believe it works in here. So when you're doing that on your trainer mob there, Frank, you're just not letting her work? You're holding your rake over the top and not letting her work a stock and until, until you put the, work? Yeah, put the rake down and then that lets her go back to, to work. But that's a bit into the training. The first way is you just, just go through your, your mob of... of uh, of trainers, whether they be goats, sheep, or, or small cattle, and just hover the rake over the top and, and, and just keep doing that 
until the dog sits. Keep bringing the rake down, the dog will sit. The moment sit, just swing back to your cattle, let it work again. That's its reward for sitting. But then after a while, you've got to make that sit longer. But I normally don't do that in the round yard. I get out in a bigger yard, do the same principle, but just make it sit longer. And some kelpies resist the sit. Some are easy, some resist the sit. Some kelpies work quite well without a sit. Um, you know, for outside work, a stop is just as good as a sit. Definitely. Um, Vic has asked, what, is, what are the most important things to do with a newly bought dog that is between 10 and 12 months of age? Right, so my advice in a lot of inquiry, what you know, people are going, thinking about buying dogs or pups and what to do, my advice would be first up, once you know you're getting a new pup coming, I know that's a bit off the question, but once you've got a, a new pup coming, I would make sure that I've built a, a pup-proof training yard. Now, that, that can be um, a round yard, a rectangular yard, a square yard. Whatever you've got in an old yard, just make it pup-proof. And you can do that with uh, one-metre high-wire netting, or you can do it with uh, probably poly belting, corrugated iron. You can do it somehow, or just get cheap yard mesh. Or you can make a purpose-built um, pen for them by buying a, a 30 metre roll of 12 and a half, I think it's uh, 1 metre 200 high sheep yard mesh. Roll that roll out, stand it up where it comes together, just put two good posts in, make yourself a gateway. And that's the ideal circumference for a training pen, if you like a round training pen. But you know, don't get hung up on detail, whether it's round, when you're first starting, whether it's round, triangle, or what it is, just, just make a pup-proof yard somewhere. Don't get hung up on detail, just uh, start to get some, some mesh or something hung up to, um, to keep your pup in. And, uh, and then, it's very important, now that pup was seven months old, I'd be showing it to goats or sheep or, or very young cattle or Indian runner ducks to get its instinct out and the moment, and that'll be with the pup will rush in, it might rush in and want to split them up or something. When the instincts first come out, don't worry too much about what order you're doing it in. And uh, or, or if it does cast wide round to the opposite side, well, that, that's fine, that, that's, a, that's, that's a very good pup. But it, that then means the instincts have come out and then you can move on to training. You can't do anything until the instincts come out. But you've got to keep showing. You've got to keep showing them every day or two, just a glimpse of a, of livestock until the instincts come out and then the training's away. But at seven months, I'd be I'd be thinking it should have started. I'd be wanting to get going. Some pups are still. We've got some pups now that are starting at nine weeks old, and they they're just easy to train when they start early. Start on goats, and the earlier the better, I think. And uh, as I say, Annie was. Um, three months and one week. Because we had a 12 month time frame. I had sweat beads because um, <laughs> the earlier we could start, the earlier we could get somewhere. And I mean, I might've had to wait eight months too, but I was lucky that, that she started, then she could have started early, but she could have also started later. And um, I used to just shower every day, every day. And then this day she switched on and then I kept her on the goats for about um, another three weeks. And then we moved to a, train them over cattle. Now there's nothing wrong with moving to very small wieners. Uh, 
you're just train them well with an older dog. Now, if you don't have an older dog, you can get an experienced person in. To, to, you just pick out the smallest wieners, try and might find one that's a leader, and you need about five. You get some of the experience in. And what I mean by training, that would expose the, those cattle to a bark, uh, to a bit of a bite probably, and then also to foliage. And then a good dog will keep those uh, five head in a mob. But when you take the good dog off, they'll just stand there uh, in a small mob and you can send the pup around and they shouldn't have any kick or charge in them because the older dog has, has got that out of them. But you must always have a rake. You must always have a, a rake if you, even if you walk a pup on a lead, have a rake so it doesn't run past you. Just have a rake as a, as a block, just wave it across in front of them, either side if it wants to go. Every time you go through a gate, don't let the pup um, push past you. You must have a rake, and when you go near cattle or livestock, you must have a rake. That, in later, as you get going, the rake is an indicator of where you want to turn, so you uh, reach around the side and mob with the rake, and the dog sees that and goes opposite the rake and into position, so it's an, it's an arm extension. But it's also there to guide your dog from trouble. Uh, yep. You can dig your dog out of the cattle or away from the sheep, or if it goes in between, and you can put it in the right position. And uh, basically, the the rake is there to um, avoid confusion. That's right. And mate, obviously, you didn't get the this option uh, through the show of picking your own pup. But how would you normally pick your own pup? Uh, I don't have any. I don't have any real ways on doing that. Um, I just take one I like, if, if I've bred the litter, I just take the one that I like and make it special. I just believe that the best way to get a good pup is to, to get a, um, a well-bred pup, give it a name that means something special to the handler. If you do that, then it means something special to the dog. The, the name as such doesn't mean anything to the dog, but if, it, if it's special to you, it comes through in your voice. And that's how finely tuned they are. Uh, and that's why you, uh, dogs run on atmosphere. And if things are going wrong and you're not real good in the mind, don't go near your dogs. Don't try to do any training if, uh, if you're not completely settled in the mind. And the training area, it, that's, that's your um, pup-proof yard, would be nice if it had shade over it. It'd be nice if you could put a sprinkler on, have it watered, have it nice and cool if it's summertime, and uh, make sure there's no uh, non-working dogs running around outside distracting it, or dogs barking in kennels distracting it. You don't want any noise. You want it to be nice and quiet if you want to. You just play a bit of music to drown the outside noise off, and um, and you must be calm and. Training sessions should only last two to three minutes. Time, it doesn't take any time to train a pup if you've got everything right here. If you've got your, if you've got your pup proof yard and, and a bigger pup proof yard, you need, as you get going, you need a bigger yard outside that's also pup proof. You need a nice little trainer mob and they could be on a bale of hay or on a bit of grain close to the yard where you can put them in the pen quickly. 10 minutes would all be you, you would need to just stick the the, whatever your trainer mob is in, is in a in the little pup proof yard 
get your little cup, carry a cup when it's little, don't have it on the lead, um, carry it into the livestock. One or two minutes of, of really uh, switched on work, don't take it away. If, if it gets a little kick or if something bumps it or something goes wrong, turns it off to work, off work, make sure you get it back into work before you pull the cup away. But yeah, do it as quickly as you can and then put it back in the kennel. The idea is to have it starving for work, knocking it off work when it still wants to work, and that's in the early stages. Well, that's how I do it. <laughs> so Kathy Brown's asked, can you keep a young pup with you too much or is it a case of the more time with you, the better? You can keep a young pup too much with you too much before its instincts come out. Once the instincts come out and it starts to work, then away you go. You can have it with you as much as you like. Don't humanise it before it starts to work. Hey, Annie. Mm -hmm. Do you want to touch on that, mate? Sorry? Do you want to touch on that for us by spending too much time before the instincts cut in? Righto. So Please. If you've got, uh, yeah, if you've got a little pup and humanise it too much like Annie is here now, and I had a name and, and it's there and I'm like this all the time, she won't go to work. She'll want to stay with me. So, yes. you, yeah, they, you just leave them in the roar a bit more. And um, I, don't, uh, I don't call them to come to me if I'm feeding them or let them out for a bit of a fun run. I just have them on the lead, as, I'm, as I say, when I want it stand on the lead and then, then get its attention, pick it up and put it away. I wouldn't cart it in the ute with me or, or have anything do like that. It would spend most of its time in the kennel or out on a fun run with me or on a walk with me, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be uh, connecting it with it too much and I wouldn't even be calling it by its name. It would be just puppy, puppy. But the moment it works, it starts to work, it, it, we're on then, on to the bonding then. So I've seen too many pups wrecked by... Uh, you know, if someone turns up at a school, 12-month-old or 18-month-old dog, and they've, they've got this Bluetooth and beautiful connection, it won't leave their side to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if we take it off them, starve it for work and starve it for affection, then it will work to get its pleasures other way, if that makes sense. Well, that's how I think it works anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can see the logic in that, mate. Damon Hunt has asked, um, at what age of training would you say a dog is ready to go out into the paddock? Prior to muscle dogs, I always said 18 months to two years before he went out in the big world, but that was probably only laziness. Um, <laughs> having started Annie and knew I was under pressure to get her there, she was out mustering at nine months old, out on some cows and calves, and I wouldn't normally do that, but uh, I didn't know what the uh, what our final task would be, whether we're on cows and calves or winners or what it be, so I got used to everything, but... But she handled it well, and, and she was a dog that, that could handle it. And even now, she, she will go out and just eyeball a Brahmin bull straight in front of him and walk up and give him one nip and he'll just turn and come back in, whereas sometimes there might be two or three dogs to do that. And uh, she's got good walk-up strength. Uh, so that probably helped. But uh, I just worry about going out too early that... If they got cut off at the mob or something happened or just got lost, that they might have trouble finding their way home. And I think, you know, once they get to about 18 months, then they, their bones are set a little bit better and, and are ready to go. But I'd be saying anywhere between 12 and 18 months now. 
But of course, it all depends on the dog. If the dog can't confidently work cattle in a yard, it won't work outside. So, or if you haven't got control in a yard, you've got no no chance of having control outside. So, every dog's different. If you think you've got enough control, if you've got a call, if you've got a stop on it, you've got some size on it, well, then you can go and. But you start ever so gradually going outside. Increase your weaner numbers from twenty to fifty to a hundred to one hundred and fifty. Then take her on to 20 cows and calves and just slowly work your way up your numbers up, whatever your numbers may be. Don't, don't just go out and let them go with it. If they haven't been exposed to cows and calves, is the worst way to kill the desire in a pup. If a, if a cow charges them, they, they just don't know what to do. So that's, that's, and of course, the other thing is if your cows and calves are, uh, are, are well handled with dogs and it's easy, but if they haven't had a lot of dog work, I'd be I'd be wanting that dog to be getting up towards two year old. And you mentioned earlier that you like a pup to start um, earlier. How long would you give a pup to show you something and how would you encourage it um, to come on and build desire in it? Well, all you can do is get in a yard with your sheep or your goats or your under ducks or your cattle or something like that. and keep causing a disturbance, I rarely bring another dog in unless I think the timing's right. Sometimes you can bring another dog in and that'll help switch them on, but I prefer if they switch on themselves. Yep. Uh, how long would I give them? I'd be worried by 10 months if they haven't started. And they will start later, but as a, if you're a breeder, you want your pups to start early because you lose too much time. The, the best time to train a pup is between, I think, between um, probably four and six months, four and eight months or something like that. They're just so easy to train. If they get too old, they're just a bit more difficult to train. Yeah. But then I'm not a real dog trainer. I'm not like, I'm only a cattleman. I'm not a, I have trained dogs, but I don't profess to be a dog trainer. I train dogs. That's so good. To what degree do you tr just trust the breeding in a pup versus what it's actually doing at a certain age? Uh, sorry, what was that? At what like what degree degree do you just trust the breeding of the pup versus what it's actually doing at a certain age? I'll have to confess that I'm not really into the genetics of dogs. I mean, I we always source. If I was to ring Joe Spicer for a dog, I'd just say, send one up that suits me, Joe. Because if I, it's just a heap of names means nothing to me. I've got other things to do than study the genetics of the dog. I just trust those good trainers like um, the um, Scott Amon, Baru Kelpies, or, or, um, or Joe Spicer, or Neil McDonald to just find me a dog and then I'll make it work. As I say, just give me a Kelpie with the good genetics and I'll train it and bond with it the way we go. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time looking for a special dog, but I spend a lot of time making a dog special, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, yeah. Kind of put the time in what to, in what you have, right? Right, and have no preconceived ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's the same with, um, you know, if you were going to get someone to come and work for you, we have a lot of trainees, and I like training young people. Yeah around looking at his breeding and how he walks and what he does before we just get a young young person uh and make it work yeah no i like the way you put that sorry 
I really like the way you've just put that. It makes sense. But some, but some people are, you know, that's just how you are. I, I can't pretend that I know genetics, and I, I make it up sometimes. If I hear of a good dog, I'll say, yeah, that's by that one. But I, you know, and I don't know, I don't know what Annie's, I know what Annie's by, but I've never seen the dog or the female. Um, but I like Annie, I know Annie, but not because of the breeding, but because of who she is. And that's, that's you've got to like the dog for what it is, is and not expect too much of it just because it's well bred. That's the way to get best out of your dog and the best way to get best out of, out of people is just, uh, Neil McDonald says you give a dog an opportunity to learn and encouragement while it's learning. Uh, recognize and reward the slightest try and that's how we, uh, we, we, we train young people the same as we train a dog. Just um, uh, give them an opportunity to learn and encouragement while they're learning. Yeah. Lara Hermans asked, why do you think you succeeded so well with any breeding, training, both? In mustard dogs? Yeah. Oh, well, I knew it was going on national TV and I like <laughs> pride in what I do. And if I do something, I like to do it properly. If I build a fence or build a yard, I'm a bit particular. So uh, if I was given a job, especially I've given a job by Neil after so many schools and so many um, years of being connected with Neil, I was obligated to do exactly what he'd told me to do to train and to feed a bar and to to show them up as, as what they are and that's good training. So that's what that's what gave me the will to um, to train them. And yeah. I reckon I could have persisted and made a blue healer be a herding dog if I had to because I was determined to make something or whatever was given to me. Yeah, absolutely. Happened, but it's yeah. Yeah, uh, Karen Higgins has asked, "Have you ever had a dog you didn't like, and what did you do with that dog?" If you if you've got a lot dog that for some reason you can't bond with or don't like, get rid of it. Sell it on. It can be someone else's pride and joy, and that has happened to me. I've bought dogs or people that they didn't get along with, and they are they're good dogs. So, but yes, if you've got a dog you don't like, don't persist with it. Whatever reason it is, um, sell it. There'll always be someone else that, that can turn that dog around or, or they don't worry about the, the hang-up that you have with it. On that note, Damon Hunt asked if you still have Lucifer and um, how is he going, if so? Yeah, Lucifer's fine. Uh, I just wouldn't bring him up here, knock the furniture around a bit. <laughs> Lucifer can't sit still, but he, he's going well. And I think Lucifer's going to be a dog that will mature older. I think by the time we get to three years old, uh, Lucifer will be a completely different dog. But but he's he's fitting in, and each each month he's he's calming and um, and and doing his job better. But they they are different dogs. Uh, different dogs and they'll have different roles in the place, but no, he's, he's got his place and he's, he's healthy and shiny. And in, uh, I think it's in, in the end of June where both uh, Lucifer and Annie and I are going to the Atherton show to um, 
probably represent muster dogs or uh, do, do a few demos up there and uh, I'm very privileged to have been invited there so uh, Lucy will be back in the limelight then so I've got a couple of months just to put the final edge on it. There's a cattle troll there too isn't there? The Atherton show? I don't know. No, I think, no I don't know. Okay cool. Glenna uh, Simpson's asked um, She's from Northern Queensland and she's afraid her dogs will be hurt or worse um, when working the harder type cattle up there. She's asked, would you ever risk using your dogs on rough feral cattle? And if so, what is the best preparation for young upcoming dogs? I think the best way to handle feral cattle is, is to, to train cattle and put in with them. That, that would be what I'd be doing if, if, if there was a paddock with feral cattle in, get, other, get younger cattle and train them with, with several dogs to get, and when I say train, I want cattle to follow. Uh, you just want to be the Pied Piper out the lead and, and the dogs bringing the cattle to you. Wherever you go, the cattle follow. So you'd let them into those cattle and um, I think when you went to pick them up, the, the trained ones would come looking for you and that would help the dogs to put the uh, scrubber cattle behind them in the quiet ones, but you know I don't have a lot of experience on that. I don't really know, but I'm sure that you, I reckon you would want a four, five, six-year-old dogs to be doing that. It won't be any. <laughs> um, Nat Grimmers asked, in your opinion, what is the best way to introduce a dog to cows and calves who have never seen a dog before? Once again, I would think before the cows calve, you would do it with dry cows. When they're protecting their calf, you've got you've got more resistance from the cows. And how we how we made the transition to dogs in in the in the nineties when we first started with dogs was to train all our weaners, train all our replacement heifers, and then put forty or fifty replacement trained replacement heifers into each breeder paddock. And then, as I say, when you go to a water, those few come searching for you, then the other cattle would fall into line. And that was a, that's how we done it. But we didn't worry about getting the older breeders and, and uh, training them to dogs. We just trained all the young stuff and eventually all the young stuff become the breeders and everything. Um, as we got more and more trained heifers into the older cows, we started, but, but not in the early days, just, I believe just, just slowly, slowly does it. Make sure you train all your young cattle uh, to perfection first and, and the rest happens. And what makes the ideal cow dog for you or cattle dog? Oh, I like a, a sort of a leggy, leggy dog. But once again, it doesn't matter uh, as long as he... Um, he does a bit of that, as long as he's trainable and... He, they just seem to fall into my way of what I want. <laughs> I just, I don't have any trouble with dogs. I don't have a, I, don't, I never have a, I never trade dogs. You know, I say if I didn't like a dog, there might be one of two. The only reason I'd sell dogs is if I was helping someone. And in the early days, there was a lot of people here that wanted help, they couldn't get dogs and I would sell or give dogs to somebody just to see them getting get going. Like nothing pleases me more than to see someone get going and, and make a make a go of, 
of uh, working cattle with dogs and that's what we do all the time and that's we've started running our own schools now but when when the professional trainers aren't here we still have lots of people coming back using our facility using the quiet cattle trying to to get going and that's what people need they need a lot of backup support after the train is gone it's all good and well to learn what to do but then you need help remembering and you need a bit of infrastructure to be able to do it like dog proof yards and and so on and a few quiet cattle to get to get dogs going if that if people are going to try and do it from pups they need a lot of help and we provide that and earlier you mentioned um about having pups at home do you breed many um pups yourself oh i used to breed a few i don't think i'll breed anymore um that's the job for the professionals i've got a daughter that breeds yeah. and no i think that i've got enough to do yeah, I'd rather help people than breed dogs and get Joe Spicer or Scott Aim on something to send me up one now and again. I'll be happy with that. <laughs> um, Graham Woolley's asked, he goes, I know the Bluetooth connection is very important. How do you know when you have it? Well, once again, when you can let the pup off the lead and it stays with you. And, um, you know, like a, a, a chook or something can go by and it doesn't leave you. If it leaves you to go and chase it and you can't call it back, well, you don't have a Bluetooth connection. You've got to have control, con total mind control over your dog. And it walks, oi, Annie, here, we're over here, like that. And she's got to be there looking at me, not at the TV around the corner. So that's, that's the Bluetooth control, isn't it, Annie, here. Any up here? Oh, if that's what you want to do, hide from that. What'll happen now? She'll fall off the stool and disappear. <laughs> it's a bit hard to show you the Bluetooth connection when she's really sitting on the lap. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the Bluetooth connection. There's no, there's no lead. There's nothing sitting for her, just a bar stool, and I think she's sick of sitting on it. <laughs> that's when you know you've got it. When you when you can take the lead off and, and just and they sit there beside you for what nearly an hour or something. I think we've got the Bluetooth. And do you do a lot of your training on the job or do you set time apart or aside? No, the, all the training is done in a round yard. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we don't. Once they go outside a the yard, they've got to be trained. There's no. You still keep an eye on and make everything right, but little little bits in the round yard. We they we have side stops, sits, everything before they go out. Um. So Nat Grimmer has asked, "What is the most important lesson you have taken away from Bud Williams?" Oh. That would be working cattle from the sides and not going to the tail. Um, yeah, that that would be the biggest thing to work the lead and and not and not the tail. Among lots of other things, but that's that's one of the big things. There, there's there's a hundred, there's thousands of things in the line from Bud Williams, but that was probably the biggest difference I've seen. Yeah. So. What is the best piece of advice you've been given then? 
that I've been given. Yeah. Oh, I probably come from Helen McDonald in 1986 at the first dog school. If I yep. can tell you a quick little story. We, when the first dog school arrived, when the, we were having the first dog school, I had rang Neil to come and I had no idea what was required. So we done a muster, the girls and I done a muster, and we took off 360 wieners and had them in the yard. We probably only needed 60, I didn't know that. But anyway, <laughs> it was the best thing I could have done because when Neil and Helen turned up, they, uh, they broke those wieners in for me and, and, and also got a trainer mob of six out. So when they left, I had six perfectly quiet for trainer mob and um, the, the rest of them all broken in. So we, they put us 12 months ahead in three days. That's basically what happened, or four days. And uh, I had these wieners in the yard, and in those days we'd leave them in the yard for a week or more. I'll just get this dog to sit back. Yeah. And um, we'd leave them in the yard for a week or 10 days and just feed them. And when we thought they were ready to let out, we'd, we'd let them out with the dogs into a small paddock and then yard them back up and then, then, then into a bigger paddock and yard them every night for a couple of weeks and then leave them out. And sometimes they'd rush and sometimes it'd be all right. But that's the way we done it. Anyhow, Neil talked me into, these wieners are only a couple of days in the yard, he talked me into let, that they would let them out into a big wire cooler. And they let them out into the wire cooler and they were there and for some reason the steel gate come open, which was leading bush back to where the cows had come from. We were a lot of rough country and the cows were all up in the, in the rough country. And I looked up and here's these 380 wieners streaming through the gate up the paddock. So I ran over to Neil and I said, do you see what's happened? He just casually looked up, yeah. And I said, well, I'll have to get horses and try and get them back. And I didn't think, I didn't know how I was going to do that on my own. But he said, well, then Helen will take care of that. So Helen let two dogs out, one called Dudley and one called Penis. She sent one to the left and one to the right. And by then, these cattle were probably nearly a kilometre away before the dogs stopped them. And she said, everything's right. Just come for a walk up to the gate. We walked up to this gate. The cattle stopped and round. It was like as though they were searching for us. I, I couldn't believe it, and uh, and her and I just slowly started to walk to them for a little bit, and I'm just there looking at these cattle coming. She said, "Turn around and give them a lead," and I didn't quite know what she meant. She said, "If the dogs are putting pressure on the tail, bringing the cattle to us, we can't stand here in the front. We've got to walk and give the cattle a lead. If the cattle come to us a meter, we've got to go from them a meter." And that's what we did. And we walked back through the gate and the cattle started coming in this gate into the cooler. We walked across the cooler and um, we got to the other side and the cattle still hadn't come through the gate. And Helen said, we just climb through the fence and we keep walking. I, then I panicked again. And I said, well, who's going to shut the gate? And she said, don't you worry about that. She said, the dogs will look after that. And said, oh, I don't. So, Eventually the tail come through and both dogs sat in the gateway. We walked parked around the side of the cattle, climbed back through the fence, walked back to the gate and shut the gate. And that's probably the best bit of advice I've ever heard with working a dog is give your cattle a lead. And I've done that ever since. As soon as cattle come towards you, give them a lead. Don't stand there gawking at them. And, and sometimes the lead can be a little bit fast. It, it, Brown and cattle, when you first pick them up, want to trot a bit, just let them trot. And if you come to a bad creek or something where you're a bit worried that they might go up or something, just speed up and they trot behind you. If you give them a lead 
And we've got our cattle that way now. If you want them to trot, you go a bit fast. You want to go steady, you just steady up on the bike, and uh, and we can muster now with our dogs behind the cattle come to us. It's it's amazing what you can do if you keep trialing things and just keep working on. It. Mate, off the back of your story there, uh, Rick Freeman has asked, how do you know when your dog is ready to start working out of sight or at least at long at a long distance? Uh, I'd say that would be when the dog can. Um, very, very few dogs can work like way away. I've heard a lot of stories and I have had a dog that could go well well away and and bring cattle back but um no i don't really know i think it um it, that would be a special dog i don't think every dog can can go too far out of sight and the next thing you need there is a motorbike it's harder on a horse because they don't have a reference point like sometimes our dogs will disappear and in the earlier days they would disappear for quite a while but you'd have the bike running and they'd bring the cattle back to you but no i don't really have any idea of age i think that's just a special dog and when you and you've got to have confidence in the dog before it works if, if you think the dog can't do something don't ask it if you think it can do it then ask it to do it and i think that's that's the safest way to answer that if you've got confidence in your dog to disappear into scrub with cattle and, and bring them back, um, then do it. What kind of cast, like um, shape or action do you prefer? Well, we have a lot of rough country and, and in rough country you get up on top of what you call the ridges or the spurs of the country. and. If you're up there and, and in the early days we'd come to cattle and they would trot along or away on that and the dog would have to get round them to lock it up. They can't cast wide because they can't go off the top of the hill. So those good dogs would just go down along the side of the cattle and then a little bubble cast at the end because they had no room to get around. And they might tail turn and run in front of the cattle for a while until they choose a place that they know they can stop the cattle and they stop them. That's fine and that's... But we don't have that now, but we used to, and that's how the dogs used to work. And, and as for uh, a cast in flat country to get around, I don't want them going too far. If, if they go via the Cape, they are knocked up by the time they get there. So as long as they are outside the flight zone and don't disturb the cattle that they're going around, um, that's fine. And that's normally how dogs work. Uh, they keep outside the flight zone, get around and then, then come in and uh, and you want your dogs to go around cattle, introduce themselves and slowly start them up, not tear around cattle and start chewing and smacking and get them. I don't care if it takes a half an hour for them to start cattle off a, off a cattle camp. They let them stand up, make sure they've got all their calves, slowly and thoughtfully pick them up and, and then we move off. I don't like fast, chewy dogs or like slow thoughtful dogs so is cast something more so that you just um you work with what the dog has naturally rather so than train into your dog if if the dog doesn't um doesn't do a clean cast go clean around its mob if it gets too close we we just get in a in a longish curly yard with little bits of poly and and have someone 
between the handler and the cattle. Just to scoop a bit of poly out to get them wide, and, and that way you'll get them wide. But Annie's cast has always been considerate of the cattle. It mightn't be a, a, a massively wide cast, but she just scoops out uh, out of the flight zone around and then comes in steady from the other side. But you can certainly you can certainly train a dog to cast wide. I've seen Greg Prince do it, and that's how he does it. He, he gets them wide. If, uh, if he casts a dog from five, if he, if, when he used to cast a dog from five, six hundred metres away from a little mob of stock, he would want it to get on the other side at five or six hundred metres, the same distance that he was in the cast and do a big wide cast. And that's fine, it's beautiful to watch. But as I say, if it's not required with quiet cattle, you do knock your dog up a little bit if they go, as I say, too wide by the cape to get there. So they've got to be conscious of the flight zone. You don't want the dogs disturbing the herd trying to get to the lead. You want them far enough in, out in the cast to um, be out of the flight zone. Well, that's how I do it anyway. I'm happy yeah. <laughs> Damon Hunt has asked, what's your opinion on colours of dogs and colour of eyes? No, I have nothing really set on that. The marble eyes sometimes worry me, but if the dog works, the dog doesn't ask me my colour of my eyes. So, <laughs> no, yeah, I don't get hung up on a lot of that stuff. This, I don't know whether you can see any, but that's <laughs> what I look for is the ears wide apart. Yep. See like that? That's the only thing that interests me in a dog is where the tail is and where the ears are. If the ears are wide apart, I reckon that gives room for a brain. Yep. <laughs> and the further the tail's tucked underneath, the more the brain is engaged. The higher the tail is, the less the brain is engaged. There's no Bluetooth, there's no... It's yeah. probably and that's all I look for, those two things. And then the, the biggest thing that I look for is the effect that the dogs have on the cat. Yeah. Not, not uh, I don't know where I've gone now, I've lost that, but he might be there somewhere. Uh, yes, the effect the dogs have on the cattle, not so much as what the dog's doing. If I was buying a dog, I'd be looking at the cattle. And if the cattle were nice and calm and accepting the dog, I'd buy the dog. That answer your question? Yeah. It does, mate. <laughs> the, the next question, um, Laura will read through, but we're probably going to have to work through it. It's a fairly big one for a few different points. Or, or questions beginning by the time you get to the end. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'll just ask one question at a time. So this is all from um, Letty Painter. What yep. differences have you encountered in character between Lucifer and Annie? Um, and how have these differences affected the way you train them, particularly acquiring Lucifer at a later stage of his development? All right. Well, uh, Rob had a good call on Lucifer. He had good camp manners um, and, and he had done the best with Lucifer the time he had him and, and with what he had to work with. That was fine. I had to make a transition to cattle with him. Well, that was fine. But I just had to steady him down. He, he, he uses a lot of speed that he doesn't necessarily need. And I think I, I got away with it earlier when I first started because the cattle were quiet and, and were naturally coming to me. 
I might just put Annie down and she could, you know, say nice, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, so, so then I just had to steady him up and get him just working the sides a little bit wider and have a little bit of respect for the cattle and, and that's all happening. It, it's, he's, he's where he's at if we weren't under the pressure of muster dogs. I mean, muster dogs are finished, but I mean, if, it, if, it, if, if we weren't under a, a timeline and I had Lucifer, I'd be happy at where he is now. Uh, I know it's up to me to just to, just to calm him down a little bit. I will be fine. Beautiful. Um, what behaviour changes are you seeing under with him under your training? And how do Lucifer and Annie relate, especially now Annie has a pal and a competitor for your, your affection? I don't think it's wise to, to work uh, litter mates together. So I don't work Annie and Lucifer together. I have another um, male and female here that I've bred myself. I didn't let them associate with one another until they were about 18 months old and I don't work them together. But I have a compound around, what I call a compound around my dog cages where I can let them out in a run and that keeps them from running up to the house and onto the lawn and where they shouldn't be. It just keeps them in an area while I'm uh, feeding them and cleaning their cows out and such like. I let them together then, but I don't let them work together. There's, there's just something about litter mates, I'm not quite sure what it is, but they just seem to bounce off one another and yeah, you're better off, I think, letting them, having them work separately. So I don't work them together, if that was what you asked me. Uh, Lucifer is more suited to male cattle than cows and calves. He, uh, he keeps the sides nice and straight. I think he's seen Bud Williams somewhere along the line because he goes fast um, in the opposite direction of cattle to steady him up and then he comes up uh, to speed them up and then he comes up wide to steady them up and then he comes back round and down along the sides fast. So he can string cattle out and that's what I love doing. So that's what we're working on with Lucifer is to teach cattle to string out and get a couple of kilometers long. That'll, that'll test him from one end to the other, but um, that's, that's what he's good at. Whereas uh, uh, Annie is more, she, she checks the lead more, sticks out the side and just coasts along on the side and keeps tucking the lead in behind me on the bike. So either side, she works either side, but that's where she works and she'll they, I don't leave the dogs out all the time, so Annie's now started to come back on the bike, and, it, and if, if we were coming along, cattle started to feed off or go up another cattle pad or a different direction to which I was headed on the bike, she just trots back, she just goes back, straightens that up, waits there a while till everything's calm, comes back and hops on the bike. And even dogs that are working the tail, if everything's going all right, I just call them around and I try to have most of the dogs on the bike all the time and the cattle thinking that the dogs are bringing them. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> Mate, what advice would you give to anyone wanting to purchase their first pup or dog? Oh, well, once again, just uh, just talk, select the breeder and talk to them, see what they've got and tell them what you do and, and, and uh, see if they can find something that would suit you. Uh, I, I think now you would have to order a pup. I don't think there'd be too many pups spare. Um, there's a fair demand for pups, but... Um, 
yeah, I'd be just getting a good breeder, telling them what you want, and um, they'll send you something. That's how I work. Yeah. And, and yeah, whether you want a male or a female or what, you know, that's, it's your choice, and then, uh, then take it from there. Dan, that's about all I can say. But as I say, the other thing is, I think I touched on earlier, pick the pup you like. If, you, if you've got the choice of the litter, pick the pup you like. Because if you pick the pup you like, you'll take it with you. If you if you if you got a dog, if you if someone wants to sell you a pup and you look at it and think, yeah, I don't think I like that, don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So first instincts are often the best. So uh, if you like a pup for some reason, whatever it might be, it might be that it come to you first or it just attached to you first, take it. Take the one you like. Or if you've got the opportunity to see pups working, that's the best way. Look for the ones that get right clean to the front of the mob and uh, just have a nice clean cast around their mob. Um, that's that's the pup you want. And pups can show that at a very young age, even before you've trained them, if you let them out on a, on a little train, you can see all that. And he's just not up over this. <laughs> that's all right. Not too much longer, Annie. We'll just go for a few more. Um, Marie McKillop has asked, um, you mentioned earlier that Lucifer learned, needed to learn to slow down. How did you go about training that? So I started in the yard with lumps of poly around the yard. We've, we've got a, um, I can't remember how big it is, but it's, it's, a, it's a big square yard that's all well meshed. It's all dog, but so the dog can't get away from you. And I think I had about 30 or 40 uh, young cattle in there and he would be too close too fast. So you just keep lobbing lumps of poly over about three foot long, probably two inch poly. The bigger it is, the, uh, the more noise it makes. And uh, I think Neil told me just the last couple of days that pool noodles, I took a while to work out what he meant, but that's something he swimming for. But he said, they They don't hurt the dog and they make a sound when they, uh, so I said to Scott, we'll have to get a truckload of them now. That's the new training tool. <laughs> so you probably know what I mean. We do, mate. Oh, yeah, I was asking the odd few poor needle. That's all right. So yeah, we just use bits of poly and that's how I, that, that's what I've done with Lucifer. Just lob it over and tell him off, just off. And he's always waiting to see where the next bit of, you know, he doesn't know whether it's me or Putin trying to bomb him. So, <laughs> for the next bomb. And that gets him off a bit. <laughs> so Sorry. I'll have to just regroup myself again then. All right. <laughs> uh, Graham Woolley has asked Do you think dissexing a dog changes how they learn or work? Sorry. Do you think dissexing a dog changes them at all or the way they work or learn? Certainly wouldn't do it until the dog was two year old. Yep. And no, that makes no effect at all. No effect at all. Uh, they're just better to live with. And, and I think the dog enjoys life better. He doesn't get himself into so much trouble and doesn't sniff and carry on. And no, I've, I've got a few uh, dissex dogs and they're, they're beautiful males. So away from dogs, do you have a hobby or talent that none of us know about? No, I don't. I don't think I have one. 
<laughs> I like gardening. That's one thing. Vegetable gardening, fruit, growing fruit trees and, and things like that. And uh, even in my old age, I was silly enough to grow some roses. I started to grow some roses last year, but my mother always told me that uh, never grow anything you can't eat, so I don't think I'll be growing <laughs> I'm sure your wife doesn't mind a few roses in house. So, yeah, apart from gardening, the other thing that I, that I do like is, is, is training people to get... Um, we, we have school-based trainees and to get them in grade 10 and then by the time they finish school um, they have a level three in agriculture and uh, are ready for the workforce. Some stay a while, some go on to other things but um, just gives them a purpose in life, a bit like a dog and uh, get it, you know if a kid's having trouble at school and doesn't like, some kids probably shouldn't be at school for too long. They need they need, they want to get out in the bush and work and we give them that opportunity. Uh, we can only do one or two at a time and I mean, it probably doesn't make a big difference. It might make a big difference to a big lot of kids, but it makes a big difference to a couple of kids. Absolutely, mate. And don't, don't downplay that at all. That's, um, you know, you said there, that, you know, not so many, maybe not so many kids, but it makes a difference to the ones it does. And yeah. mate, that's something I'm very proud of, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, Got a bit of association with Rough Track ourselves, which like the Backtrack Boys, and um, mate, it's um, you know just touching a couple of people, and it's one more yes, than would have been yes. back before, right? And helped. Yes, that's how we got involved in 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 the dog back in the eight in the early nineties. My two eldest daughters was getting up to leaving school, so rather than send them to ag class, ag college, and I couldn't afford not to have them on the place anyway, we started bringing the ag classes to the place, all short courses, and whatever short courses we could find, we had. And we, and we soon found there was a need for it because we always had 30-odd young people from the district, mainly young people from around the district off properties coming to these classes. And each time we'd finish a course, I'd ask them what they wanted to do. And in late 95, it was overwhelming for a dog school. And, and we still hold sort of random things like um, chainsaw courses and um, firearms courses and ag and vet chemical courses and preg testing and things like that. So we, we still do that from time to time, but it's mainly dog schools. Talking about dog schools, um, Sasha Foster's asked, where, do you, where can you find when your schools are on? Well, at this stage, it's on my Facebook page and my son Scott Finger's Facebook page. Somebody wants me to set up some fancy page, Facebook <laughs> page thing. And, well, you, you've seen my efforts earlier. It won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's the, that's the only way. And when, when we put it up there, then we just, I think we had 36 shares last time. And uh, we, we had one from the Northern Territory and one from South Australia last last uh, Saturday at our school, so it, it must be working. There you go, mate. You, you are getting down to lingo. You know what a share is, so you get in there. Oh, I can handle that bit of rubbish on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not much good at it. Mate, <laughs> about training pups today, Annette Jones has asked, would you consider um, training a five-year-old dog or is that too old to start? Well, once again, if the instincts come out on the on the, I think it was the week before last, we had some older dogs at the school. They might have been two and a half or three year old. Um, 
and we, we had one from Mackay that uh, had only chased seagulls, it was a Kelpie, it only chased seagulls on the beach and we got it working and, and, and I, I was surprised, I thought that was brilliant but once again you've got to have everything set up, the atmosphere right and, and show it what you want it, the livestock and if the penny drops it starts, if it doesn't it's just probably more difficult with an older dog because you've got to get all the other older habits out of it that is, that is things it's been doing instead. The, the younger they work, the younger they know what they're there for and they're just fixed on the livestock makes it easier. But if they've been doing other things, uh, being a bit of a street kid makes it harder. But I'd certainly try a five-year-old dog if there was one about, just just try it. You've got nothing to lose. Set it up so that it, and, and with an older dog, I'd put another dog with it. Yep. I'm a bit reluctant to do that with a pup. But with an older dog, just send a few dogs out there, get a bit of bark, get a bit of chaos. Uh, some older dogs like chaos, and that gets them going. Then you get the chaos under control, and you've got a working dog. You do. Has your enthusiasm for working dogs and livestock been passed on to your grandchildren? Yes, yes, yep. very, uh, yes, 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 no, that happens. Um, some are doing other things. My oldest grandson is, uh, is, is just, got to, got to get this right. I think just left school and he's 18 and, um, he's doing, he's done a, a school-based apprenticeship in a motorbike shop and that's just where his heart is set at that. So, I mean, you, you let them do that. Um, if, if you, you'll soon tell the ones that want to go to work, the ones that work on the place. You, you can't make uh, someone do something they don't, and, and, and you shouldn't. At least you'll be able to get your bikes fixed a bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and I need that, yes. <laughs> Mate, while we're talking about working there, um, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to pursue a career in the livestock industry? Oh, just get out and, and find some employment uh, and... Uh, and see if you like the bush, you know, it, it, yeah, the bush is starving for people. So it's an opportunity now find, find the right employer that will, that will give you an opportunity to learn and nurture you through that. Um, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to throw young people in the deep end. You want to, um, slowly, slowly take them, take them through their training and uh, build up their confidence and, uh, just like a dog. Give them a start and give them the best opportunity you can. Definitely. Not that I should compare a human with a dog, but there's not a lot of difference. There's not a lot of difference to training a, a young pup than to training a child. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. No. Who would you like us to sit down and have a chat on Dog Talk with? Sorry? Who would you like us to sit down and have a chat like, like this um, with? Oh, I think you've had the Top Guns. You've had Neil. You nearly started with Neil. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a few. Should round up my son one day and see if the see how I've gone with him. There we go. I, I think he's actually tuned in tonight, Scott. So if you're yep, listening right. there, mate, um, <laughs> if you got to listen, the questions that come through. Or if not, we actually had a bit of a mix-up. We normally send some questions a bit earlier, um, just so you kind of have an idea, but. Had a breakdown with her email address, so um, 
have to say Frank's actually done very well and hasn't had any um, pre-screening of any questions. Uh, he might get thrown by Laura's last question tonight. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you'd know how to turn it on. I, I don't know how to get onto dog talk, so I'll have to get him to show me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mate, well, it's come to that point of night tonight. Was there a particular question that stood out for you? There was one question about when to start a pup, and I thought that was good. That's, uh, you know, to be thoughtful of the age of the pup. If, if you could remember that or find that, there was someone I wanted to know what age i thought and and i think i said that uh well you can start at any time after the pups weaned you can show it to livestock and um, and and you don't there's no problems in showing it as long as you've got goat sheep or or, or uh, indian runner ducks uh, to bring its instinct out and and that's the type of question that i like you know when to start a pup because you're starting at the very beginning uh that's where your thoughts got to be that's where your mind's got to be when you when you when you go to a dog school, starting right at the beginning, how to start that little pup, bring its genetic, uh, bring its instincts out, what to do with it. Don't worry about being out in the big paddock trying to pull down a bull. Just think back there, and if you people want an advanced school, all an advanced school is getting the basics right. If you get the basics right, you can do everything in the yard. You get your cast, you get your size. You get you get all your commands on your dog there, and and that's that's um, that's what you do on an older dog. You just do it on a younger dog, and once you've done it, you don't have to do it anymore. Um. So that is Vic. Vic Malchev, I think your name. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. But uh, get in contact with us, Vic. Um, just uh, message us through our page, and you've got a bag of Enduro um, Plus coming your way. High energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Congratulations, Vic. So thank you, Frank, for jumping on tonight. We really um, appreciate your time. Um, and to all of our members for tuning in and putting through your questions. It's been a great night. Before we go, one more question. If you had to choose between fighting 20 horses the size of ducks or one duck, sorry, I've gotten that wrong every time. <laughs> one duck the size of a horse, or 20 horses the size of ducks? Well, you won't win a dog of bed. You won't <laughs> win a bag of dog food for a question like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, i got no idea. I don't know where that's going on. I mean, it sounds stupid, but anyway. <laughs> that, just, just a bit of fun. Tell me what I should have said. Oh, but, everyone, you, answers everyone answers it different. Some people want to take on the want all the glory and take on the one big duck, and uh, other people want the twenty little horses. So uh, it's different. <laughs> the only on the duck if I could fit it in an oven. Apart from <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's a great answer. But most people have had a little bit of time to think about it, and you didn't get uh, luxury tonight. So, mate, that's all right. You got, everyone's got to eat right, so I love the call you made, anyways. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Mate, thank you very much for your time tonight. Like Laura said earlier, um, really appreciated it. And um, sure that you've got a lot of people chasing you to have a chat at the moment and really appreciate that you gave us your time. Uh, thanks, Dan and Laura. And probably when I look back on this little thing tonight, 
I'll have wished I'd done it differently, but there's nothing, very little you do that you don't wish you'd done differently. So I think I've bumbled away a bit through some of it, but um, yeah. Not a You've done a great job, so thank you. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Laura. Have a great night. And please remember, we learn every day. The day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Good night. Thank you. You could get a bag of dog food for that one. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks, Dan. Thank Bye you. Bye.